0: That we have this box mentality bestowed upon us by the generations before. Don't worry about it, lad. Just put it in a box. Never talk about it. Bosh. Off you go. That's great until you're at a seven-year-old's birthday party and a kid bursts a balloon right next to your head and suddenly you're stood up wanting to take the head off something absolutely full of adrenaline. It's go time. Like Pavlov's dogs, you've become preconditioned. When Pavlov blew the whistle, the dog would salivate. In the same way that as soon as you feel air displacement, things get loud or noisy and start happening around you, it's go time. It's your life or someone else's.
1: Welcome to The Freedom Project, a podcast for those who crave adventure with every fibre of their body. I'm on a mission to bring you absolute freedom. Yes, freedom to do what you want, when you want to, but also freedom from your own limitations. In this podcast, I'm going to be exploring what it takes to live a life full of adventure and freedom. I'll be interviewing adventurers, explorers, and business owners who have set their life up to have an abundance of choice. And I'm also going to give you the high-performance tips and tricks I teach my entrepreneur clients to have the kind of life they want and be the type of person they wish they were. So if you're not already, subscribe to the show and settle in for another episode of The Freedom Project. Returning from his sixth overseas deployment in seven years, Nick Goldsmith hit rock bottom. Complex PTSD consumed Nick's life. He used traditional forms of therapy that provided by the military. They didn't fully provide what he needed. Rewilding himself, however, gave him a pathway to connect with a more authentic and healthy version of himself. His woodland gave him the opportunity not just to reconnect, but to give others who were pursuing their own mental health a chance to do exactly that too. Over the years, Nick has become a wilderness survival consultant author, businessman and speaker. In today's conversation you can expect to learn what a circular business model means to Nick, Nick's foundation of mental health that you can find in nature, what today's way of living is doing to ruin your quality of life, what nature will provide to you that the traditional mental performance models just can't and so much more. Really hope you enjoy this episode with Nick absolute pleasure to get to know him and it's um it's a conversation that makes you think i need to get back down to the mendips and experience more time with this guy because he's inspiring and he's also a true master of what he does so enjoy this wide-ranging and enjoyable conversation with nick goldsmith let's start with the kind of obvious question once you've done some research into you where did your interest in mental well-being start uh well i guess like anyone anyone
0: who uh whether you go down the route of being clinical or non-clinical in my case there has to be a story or a journey behind it doesn't there generally nobody does anything in this world without having a point of interest or a touch point we might call it somewhere in their lives it might be uh, a family member a loved one who went and did something and then we progressively look to emulate that behavior or perhaps If we had a parent in in our case who who was a Royal Marine, there is a propensity, certainly as a young man, from that sort of strong imprinting to then want to join the Corps. So in my case, with mental health, um, I never struggled with mental health until suddenly I really, really did. And uh, that was right towards the end of my military career as a Royal Marine, and I was subsequently Uh, downgraded at the end of that last tour and sent to a naval recovery service center I spent nearly four years there being put back together uh, or putting myself back together mentally and physically before being uh, sent back out into the world of of civvy street or the the terminology we use for for the big bad world today and I've been out out in in the world since 2018 and uh, what are we now 20 going into 24 a uh, point of this recording so um, i've had enough years out here now uh, and running a business which i essentially started just before leaving two years before leaving um, to have kind of cultivated my own brand of working in this sort of mental health well-being education its very hard to pin down exactly Mm -hmm. using the power of the outdoors that's kind of my my pivot point is all around nature-based solutions Um, for us as humans conservation education everything else so my journey with mental health essentially was born out of my own hardship which then led me to very organically begin to implement more and more of it into my business to the point now where i work with a number of organizations at all sorts of levels uh helping people to um quote unquote rewild their minds (laughs) yeah
1: yeah that's what fascinates me that idea of rewilding and the organic nature and there seems like there's something that that modern life is either missing or has too much of that is either in an abundance mm. or a complete lack of when you're doing real mm. stuff like physical stuff, organic stuff um, that yeah. is in nature. Yeah, we um, we are
0: living some strange. Str- we're living in some strange times, and we're living in a strange way. So far as your biology is concerned, um, so sitting at a ninety degree angle. eight hours a day looking in a kind of singular point of focus on a screen that's blue light working past into those dark hours where your circadian rhythm starts to glitch it starts to get out of out of uh out of kilter and you know you're kind of ignoring your body's essentially it's it's key so those points where it's time to go to sleep. Melatonin is released into the bloodstream and you're just like, oh, demonize it with a bit of language. Oh, I'm just so tired at the moment. Does anyone want a cup of tea? And then followed by putting some stimulating uh, liquid down the neck and then staying up that bit. Like, And we wonder why we stare at the ceiling. I can't go to sleep. After the amount of screen time, stimulants mm-hmm. and ignoring the body's own auto cues, that was the word I was trying to think of, to go to sleep, it's just... We're we're defying our own biology. We haven't evolved. You and I haven't evolved past, what, 20,000 years? The last 20,000 years were the same model of ourselves. Our eyes have not evolved to take in, do more, do less of. And yet we're all living to a degree in a way in which we no longer have to necessarily forage for food, make, mend, craft, repair materials, cordage, nets, to catch the food, to do the thing, to make the fire, to collect the water, to filter it, to purify. It's just there, hot water, lighting, everything, Amazon. Things arrive at my doorstep. I don't have to leave my letterbox if I don't want to. So in that quest for Path of Least Resistance, which has seen us get to where we are today, thanks to our our ancestors, finding out those kind of calorifically, speaking, those best routes of doing something, streamlining it, we've now got to the point where we're almost, I, th- I feel, over the other side of that, <laughs> we're now not doing things that we've done for 300,000 years. And we've only not been doing them for about 50, certainly probably 20. And now we're seeing this pandemic raise in people. And when you actually get to the heart of talking to people the words they use from a kind of mental health perspective these words like i, I feel lost etc it, it's disconnection we are disconnected there is a disconnect and yet we could be arguably we are never more connected in our ability to mm-hmm. see well we're just fed information at a rate of knots but that disconnection is is felt more than ever and
1: Yeah, there's that that feeling of as soon as you're bored, you have a a media outlet and a way of minimizing that boredom in a smartphone. Sure. You look at it and you have some information coming from you. And I can't remember what the stats are, but something along the order of we used to get a gigabyte of information to process over the course of our life. And now we have 25 gigabytes every single day. And that's it, those numbers are completely made up. Mm. It's something like that. Um, but there's, there's that constant mm. stimulation mm. available to us. And I, th- I think the times when I've been personally most engaged in life and connected with life, when there's been intense periods of boredom there. When I've had times of sitting around in a camp before we go on like a yep. summit push or when we have the, the times of, well, there's plenty of times that, you know, that you're sat out on an exercise or whatever. Hurry and up. it's a lot of hurry up and wait in between. Yes. Yes, exactly. And that seems to be um, good for the mind. Well,
0: it is because it's that opportunity for your mind to reboot itself. Essentially, when you're standing at a, let's say you've just had a meeting or we've just done this podcast. And perhaps I need to take a public service. I need to take a bus. Uh, In days of old, I would go stand at the bus stop, look at my watch, make some small talk to the person next to me, as if to say, look, I'm not a threat to you. Because standing in silence is a weird thing, especially when you're sort of a a larger bloke uh, next to the person next to you. And sort of saying, look, um, have you got the time? And, uh, oh, that weather front hasn't come in yet. Whatever it is, right? Bit of chit-chat. And then more silence that's a great chance for your brain to defrag and reboot itself after all those conversations, smells, sounds, tastes, everything you did is getting a chance from that that prefrontal cortex is firing it off into places. And that will really take place when you sleep during, I think it's like your third sleep cycle. you, You go through that part there. And that's where everything gets put into a file or where it should technically go. Fine. What if you, the moment you put down the phone for the meeting, straight into answering three more emails, sending more memes and gifts to all your friends, even when you're sat in the toilet, then go to the bus stop, still glued to the phone, watching a documentary on something, still being shown everything else. At what point did you even begin to try and let your mind rest from the heavy conversation or the meeting or the problems that arose from the thing you're working on with the group of people in your workplace, whatever it is, you don't. The mind has no space or headspace for it to rest. It can't, and then just think about the uh, the physical training analogy. If I mean, if we if we just trained every single day as hard as we could all day every every day, how long is it till you're burning out? Well, it's no, it's no different. It's yeah. no different. It's the same thing. Uh, and I guess I guess this is where mental Absolutely. health conditions really really play a part because you're at a point where you're sort of hormonally imbalanced so out of kilter for whatever reason this thing is happening to you you get intrusive images thoughts sounds things everything's triggering off a, a tape recorder is playing in the background uh as i used to describe and you just can't free yourself of it even if you are sat in complete silence so the only place that ever made any sense to me mm-hmm. was sitting around a campfire and i think there's something something quite strange about about uh about that if you look at the studies done with world war one veterans who were coming back and their cns was so fried they literally like can't stay still it's almost like a parkinson's response their nervous system is shattered from all the heavy shelling for months on end and, and the constant constant belief and meanings made i'm about to die i'm about to die i'm about to die and of course they came back and um i think i don't know if you've seen the footage where they they light the match and they put the candle on and the person just stops as soon as the light is going it's really it's really weird um and uh, i know people have made mocking videos putting drum and bass to these people moving around the hospitals in black and white and all that sort of stuff as well it's pretty harsh um but but there is something very very calming uh, and i wonder if it's and i'm now talking about something that's almost epigenically inside us there's like a known factor for being around a fire in the same way that we go to a restaurant. We create ambiance by having a candle on between us. It's having that little fire. So it's it's light, it's warmth, it's the ability to cook food, make water safe to drink, ward off predators, signal for help. I mean, the list goes on. So just ha- being around that is something quite comforting, but maybe also the fact that it's moving and to a degree, there's a certain degree of our brain is looking to make meaning in the, in the patterns being thrown up on the Mark 1 TV it's hugely hugely powerful factor for getting people to open up to talk um probably because we've done it for three hundred thousand years uh you might not have ever have done it in person it might be the first time you've ever done it when you when you actually sit down around a fire pit barbecue whatever it is with friends or family but
1: it's so so powerful there's a very similar thing when you're walking with people yeah. When you're side by side and you have like an open peripheral view and you're kind of maybe looking where you're walking, where your feet are going, where you're kind of, you're into the distance looking around and you're half engaged with yeah. the person next to you. And you, it's almost like the, the sensor is turned off and you speak the things that you want to speak. And there seems to be something again, very organic it's, um, I
0: think, I think the uh, clinical side of things would refer to that as duality. So it's the same way some of the treatments like EMDR work. There's a sort of a level of duality, both sides of the brain working at the same time. Something I would say would be much more about, and especially with if you're talking about mountains or, or going into those kind of foothills where the mountain range opens up, um, the eyes do an awful lot more work in the body than we think. Like eyes drive muscle tone and all the rest of it. If you if you follow neurology and the, and the work of a neurologist, they would tell you a lot about your dysfunction between left eye and right eye driving a lot of the stuff that's actually going on inside the limbs i i'd probably take a more stoic route with it um which i have found to be true and believe to be true in that when you're looking for perspective on something on a matter you can't seem to get an answer for like you said walking alongside someone every time your foot strikes the floor firing off both sides of the brain and then you've got this whole Massive landscape up in front of you. Your eye is having to really search, and it's giving you long-term, long-distance perspective. And somehow, the conversation just almost always ends up being one of like a true sense of connection and stoicism and stuff that's based in millennia of understanding. We always end up having these epic conversations when we're out there, and yet when we come back, all we seem to talk about in in the short term, in a short space inside the office or whatever, is just. There's nothing real. It's very superficial. It's the knickknacks of just getting through each working day to go home and shut ourselves away behind closed doors for five of us to sit in a room like this whilst the TV's blaring. <laughs> and yet,
1: mm-hmm. how do you resist that? Because as a business owner and as someone who's just existing in the modern world, there isn't endless, endless. list of tasks to do so i've been going through quite a big push yeah. in my business recently trying to bring on more clients and professionalize a lot of things that we're doing and build out a small team and everything that goes along with that all for this like trip that i'm i'm planning and there's an endless thing to, uh, list of things to do so i've got endless emails i can always put out more content on social media i can always engage with people better i can always serve my clients better that list is endless and it's all got a value to it So, if you set up, I don't know, rules where you're like, this is my, this is my discipline, this is my boundary. I don't go. I have now,
0: yeah, And and for for quite a while now, I've been playing a um an interesting game with myself. So, in being able to deconstruct yourself and look at your good, the bad, and the human. I don't use the word ugly anymore i say the human element of you because you've also got this 97 percent of you that's offline the chimpanzee that's in the background and if you don't find a way to sensibly give that chimp a banana it will go find a banana and that may not be the best outcome for everyone involved because it's going to just do what it wants to do right um subconsciously so being able to deconstruct yourself we are all fantastic To answer your question, we're all fantastic at telling the world about the things we're really good at, which is great. But the the most important message any of us can tell ourselves or can work with on a level is the message we tell ourselves about ourselves. But many of us are kidding ourselves we all do it and it's born out of protection mechanism and not wanting to look at the bits of us that are not so well developed or we're not very good at or we have a have a propensity to go around a certain behavior when times get hard and we reach for that as as our sort of short-term gratification route or whatever it is so in in basically laying myself bare to myself spatchcock (laughs) i've been able to to take myself through and and understand that some of the very things that you may also class as the depth of character and the things that have made you are also the things that will break you. So um, you, 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 as a former Royal Marine, will will understand when I say the things that we are taught um, in training, concurrent activity at you know activity at all times, anticipation at all levels. It's only cheating if you get caught. All this kind of stuff, which is great for a model based on a thousand years of warfare of people living and dying and an absolute mantra for life is fantastic, but it's actually also incredibly unhelpful when you don't have service and support. You don't have mortars on standby. You don't have packages dropping out the sky, resupplying you with food and everything else. It's just you. It's you. It's your business. You need to make enough noise to be heard out there. You need to deliver the product to a standard that people are going to say, wow, this guy is the best at what he does. And it's just too many plates to spin. But if you take all of those behaviors and conditions, things that are conditioned into us and and molded, which some of which are helpful and some of which are deeply unhelpful, like, yes, it's great to be ready five minutes before something. Maybe it's not so helpful to, uh, and I'm talking in the physical sense, to fill your vehicle up on a Sunday night so that you know it's good to go. It's got fuel on it on a Monday morning because in doing that, you're taking the vehicle, you're going two miles out to the petrol station, two miles back. That's actually four miles on your vehicle, which if you think about it, uh, it's all going to add up quite quickly. When your bottom line is so lean and you're, and you're a young business, do you hear where I'm going with this? So actually some of the things that are kind of quite OCD meticulous militarized behaviors in our case are quite unhelpful um the language that we use when we're trying to deal with a tricky situation or and not slip into that alter ego of that kind of raw marine right this is my file for what happens when things get really hard i just go monotone on my language everything's short sharp hard i haven't got time for the flowery gump all the um soft skills and eq goes out the window out comes the the big blade the hand mm-hmm and I start dishing out the orders and this is how it should be and that will lose you contracts clients and stuff faster than you can shake a stick at so do you hear what I'm saying here in that whole kind of like
1: yeah absolutely and it's also such an essential skill set to have so two weeks ago I was in Italy a lovely relaxing holiday with my wife and we had an amazing place in um in the hills of Cefalu and overlooking the sea and it's perfect and then one thirty in the morning, you've got the Airbnb owner smacking on the door saying, Tom, get out. There's a wildfire. And instantly in that moment, you have that switch. And it's like, I've been in difficult, yep. complex scenarios before. I know how to process yep. lot of information. I know how to, to use um, Jocko um phrase yep. to prioritize and execute. It's like, What's the job? And the four fingers came out, and it was like, "Yeah, wife, do these things. <laughs> Don't call a wife to a face, right? Um, but like, do these things, like execute this task. Yeah, yeah, do these things. And it's a really beneficial point. But then I found myself down on the beachfront, still in that mode, I'll to switch it off, to checking it? In where's, with my wife where's and the, how the, she was. Where's the balance? Yeah, exactly. And the other challenge with this as well. Did you know Simon Jeffries? Um, yeah, you know, Jeff is perfect. So he and I have this constant conversation going on about in the core and in all aspects of the courts. SOPs to do everything. It's a very clear line of career progression. Thousand it's years. Very clear. Thousand year system. Parameters. Yeah, exactly. You know what to do in any given scenario, from ironing your shirt to whatever a billion different tasks everything has gone sap and then you come and set up a business and what do you do there's complete
0: yep 17 stuff.
1: ways to skin a cat is what i tell
0: people around the campfire and i'll say you know what type of accountant do you need to get what type of so how do you prioritize this stuff so to answer your question i have a i have a system where uh, every night i have a little notepad next to the bed and i literally put a star goes next to whatever it is that has to be done tomorrow or or approached or nobbled this is would like to do down here at the bottom and it's like um it's like a, a constant rolling arithmetic equation problem so that if I got these three done knobbled off i'm at oh, the su- the feeling of success of crossing off the lines there are only so many there are only so many hours in a day there is only one of me I can only do so much. Even if I start to delegate away and force multiply, I can still only achieve so much because each one of these issues, uh, this goes to another phrase, which is one job is 10. Mm-hmm. I go to do one thing, whether it's a physical small holding DIY homestead job or whether it's a, um, to close a meeting or to close a, I want to close a contract around something that's happening next year. But the other organization are so massive that I'm dealing with it's easy for me because I am I am every department and Louise's accounts and I just make a phone call and everything's sorted. For them it literally takes them like a month. And so I'm hanging on and hanging on. Other opportunities are coming in and I'm like, oh, "Well, I need to but I could be doing this now and actually." And what I've come to realize is that you can only control the next 10 minutes of your time and the next 6 feet in front of you and everything else after that point. It's just going to happen in the ether. But what is certain is that doing things with consistency, consistently, What even if you only achieved two things that day, you did, the, you did the best of your ability and that went really well. And then building in that downtime so that you function at that level for a far longer period of time rather than being this kind of bang bust character, high speed, which again, we see from the military side of things, very, very typical black and white. Uh, I call a spade is a spade, high speed, but low drag. Mm-hmm. And actually, that if you look at, and you'll know this, successful mindsets and uh, people who are operating in high-performance individuals, they have their own secret source, means of maintaining that level of sanity so that they can perform mm-hmm. at that standard time and again. So for me, it's it's about making these lists, prioritizing, being realistic with myself, understanding where I'm not so good, the things I'm not good at catching myself in the moment when i'm trying to apply the template the thousand year template (laughs) i call it a thousand get rid of that open your mind up to the idea that there are so many different ways and you can think outside the box and that you can pivot you can put the same product out to a completely new market simply by changing the wording or simply by changing the location or simply by whatever it is you're still doing the thing that you do At your best at your core and in your way but you're just offering it in a different way or a different environment or whatever it is and so so uh, yeah I don't beat myself up anymore if I didn't get it done Uh, I'm big enough to apologize to people although I don't really have to do too much of that because I'm much more realistic with my timeline now I don't have this whole in a given day I can achieve this Because my coffin will be the same size as yours, will be the same size as the multi, multi millionaire down the road. It really, really doesn't matter. By and large, we're all heading to the same place. So while I'm here, I'm going to love what I do for a living. I'm going to help a whole bunch of people. I'm going to be able to put little Finley off to swimming lessons, and everything's going to be rosy for the most part, because the hardest yards, although life is hard and it's going to throw some more stuff at me and there's you know, there's going to be lots of primary caregivers, probably a little bit more injustice, grief or rejection at some point down the line. But the hardest yards I think that I've been through, certainly inside of that mad seven-year period, that first part of the career, are behind me and I'm still here. What point did you have to get to? to uh, learn that I got to the point where, because I couldn't see it, all of my friends, all of my family, everybody, it was when the psych nurse... We had an incident on a final tour, and I was an attached rank, um, glued on to the likes of Jeffers and the gang. And so that was number as the sixth time I've been out the door inside of seven years in an operational uh, context. And that one turned out to be seven months with no R and R. And although I wasn't directly in the pointy role on that one, I was still taking um, Indigenous forces we were mentoring through the killing house live you know doorway dyslexia going across the front of each other whilst those guys would be on a push because they still had an obligation to provide training package so what's one uniform from another you know i just throw on some gear as long as the broken down position is up here i'm still teaching exactly the same stuff shoulder going you know weapon going to the other half of the shoulder how you do your doorway appreciation so i'm i'm still in the room with the language thing and all the rounds going off around me. And the damage was actually done in 2008. So by the time I'm speaking to the psych nurse on this last tour, uh, we'd lost the boss. He was dead, He'd lost his life. And um, another couple of lads had been life-changing injuries and, um, and the, the dog had been taken and just everything had gone sideways on this particular job for whatever reason. I wasn't on the job. As I said, I was in the location they'd launched from. And for the first time ever in my entire career at this point, I don't think I'd, I hadn't gone through the Cypress decompression at all after that. And i been injured on that first tour the whole way through. It was just skip that phase. Um, I got to sit down with someone who asked me a series of very poignant questions. And I think that's when the cracks were really starting to show, really starting to show. Um, and when I look at all the factors that went into that, I had everything from, um, you know, fixing bayonets, danger, close artillery, being ambushed, you know, stuff to do with frag and foss and things to do with, uh, saving a young lady's life in a pub toilet, very visceral again, blood everywhere. And then another couple of tours and then going and doing some very extraordinary unorthodox soldiering elsewhere totally different new game learning curve like this to learn uh in 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 other parts of the world then coming back mother had cancer both breasts you know surgery radio chemo work were awful about it had to uh had to try and get um had to get welfare involved for the first time in my time i didn't even know where the welfare was had to go and activate that system to get the time to sit with her at no point has anybody ever gone Are you okay? How did you feel about, you know, you've just come through. And then I bounced straight out on this seven month there. And by the time I came back, big handlebar moustache, absolutely none given for anyone of rank anymore. Um, Everything, my my whole world had been reprioritized basically on how I was feeling in any given moment. Completely emotion driven creature, driven solely by sympathetic nervous system, panic attacks, uh sleep paralysis at night hearing things that were literally not happening so like the the visioaudial, audio waking up to the sound of a bang even on that tour putting the gpmg on running out the door to go make my final stand with everything else hanging off of me and the two lads in my room having to jump on me and say where are you going crazy man I'm like, you know, main main gate's just gone up. I can hear it. What I'm hearing and feeling is me being stuck on a rooftop in 2008 with a 500-pounder coming in at less than 300. Um, And the the kind of seeing that shockwave coming across the countryside at you and then the the mini me hitting me in the head and bits of shrapnel winging into the walls. And, you know, it's kind of um, all all the artillery coming in at less than 80 metres, the 105s and things like that. So these feelings hadn't left me. Mentally, or hadn't left my body, I was literally feeling this stuff happening. And I think at that point, I was in a state of overwhelm, but still in denial, still in denial that because I didn't know then everything up until that point was certain. This is like, I can't see this, so I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what this recovery center looks like. I don't know what the idea of any of this stuff looks like. But the icing on the cake, if you wanted to shake the can up and put that on there with a the cherry. Was that there was a bureaucratic error. So Poole, the unit I was at the time, thought that I was in Plymouth, and Plymouth thought I was in Pool. So for eight months I was left at home on leave at my lowest point. Um, which is pretty unforgivable in my book. So to have come through that and to have had the daily chats with myself about should I still be here today, etc. Like to the point of nihilism, like do I even exist? Um I think I think I'm 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 forever proud of myself because now what I do have are things that have happened for me, not to me, and things that I can use in my repertoire. So having been in both the pointy role, the logistical role, and the very unorthodox role, I understand when I'm talking to people of every rank uh, who've gone on to be everything from politicians to still in the system, and I'm talking about understanding what it's like to have almost too much information at your disposal because you know what's going on behind closed doors. You know, what's coming or whatever the worry is there. You know what it's like to watch other lads go out and patrol and not be the one doing the patrolling. And then you know what it's like to have the, the stress, the acute stress of being on the patrol, doing the patrolling. These are, these are quite a plethora of experiences that, cross-section of people from our world as veterans and the blue light services will feel uh and i'm able to empathetically reach each one of those um because of that eclectic diverse weird repertoire that i now have that i can draw upon to help them move forward does that make sense
1: absolutely I'm guessing you engaged in a lot of talk therapy to begin with. What purpose did that serve, and what when did its utility uh, run out?
0: Fantastic question. So I arrived in so I, I came off the tour May fourteen and I was reached out in my darkest, lowest moments in December just before Christmas and they got me in they got me down to the base they had to basically like coax like please come back because i was wild um Mm -hmm. i came back the week before so silly week the week before christmas leave just to literally drop my stuff into a room uh which i searched thoroughly for usb sticks and then put a big black pusser sock around the uh the uh, fire alarm at the top i didn't like the look of the red light on that and all the rest of it i was (laughs) pretty pretty wired i had blue tack over the camera and speaker on my phone like i was properly off the grid at that point and um and then i went on leave again so 2015 is when i started now i wasn't ready but you're a military asset and they are technically have a duty of care and they're paying for you to be there etc so they pretty much push you along to what's called over the road so the mental health sessions with DCMH inside the system that's what it's known as the military mental health system and so rather reluctantly, I began this talking therapy, uh, which led into them beasting me through a load of what's called EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. So I did best part of a year of that, uh, which was horrendous. And it saw me, uh, it was very, very, was, I describe it as a surgical approach. They literally like opening up, opening up the wounds, and mm. you literally relive stuff. So I was retching into a bin at the smell of claret just being covered in blood head to toe from something that happened in 2010 and I'm I'm going through this process in 2015 so 5 years after the after the incident all the stuff that i just put in a box don't talk about it put it in a box don't deal with it well the box was literally just the lid was flapping open all over the show so it had to had to get processed so I went through that whole process and uh, God, it was awful. It was awful. And then followed that up with something called CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, although although be it sort of trauma-focused stuff. And then I started to go on a personal journey um, and I looked at NLP and I went to, uh, who did I use for that? I saw a brilliant organization called Rock 2 Recovery working outside of the military realms mm did some stuff with them made some real movement on a couple of key uh things that I just couldn't seem to shift one was an image of something I just couldn't get rid of from my mind um and I did the whole scenario with the cinema and that I'm smiling now because I'm straight away I'm thinking about uh, what I replaced it with which was a brilliant memory um so that was kind of about sort of activating duality both sides of the brain just in a different way um it's just a shame it's not recognized by the system so i had to go find that elsewhere albeit the whole way along this journey i was in the outdoors every opportunity i had i was in the outdoors i was around the campfire i was back at my place in my little Mm -hmm. piece of woodland that i'd bought back in 2012 coming back from somewhere we were actually looking for a house move at the time um because we we'd identified we would have loved to have lived in the Chew valley where we now reside um and this piece of land came up and it was on right move or something like that for like six grand nobody wanted it this pokey piece of one half of a re-entrant tiny little re-entrant with a stream running through the middle going into the wider Chew valley and so yeah uh, uh we, we spoke over it on the phone it was blind bids best forward and all that sort of thing and we managed to pip everyone at the post by 500 quid so we so we had this piece of land but now what
1: just a quick favor to ask if you love the show and you think it may help someone else in the world then head to wherever you listen to the freedom project and leave a five-star review and maybe even share it with some friends it really does help me and it helps the show too I can continue to get fantastic guests on the show. It reaches more people and it makes me feel great too. So I would be enormously grateful if you could leave a five-star review and share any episodes of the podcast that you love.
0: Now, fortunately, a misspent youth in Sussex running around in the woods every two minutes before the days of mobile phones, you just disappeared on your BMX with a, a single barrel shotgun across your shoulders, age 16, up to the chicken farm. And you'd come back two days later or whatever with your mates, um, Yeah, it was a very, very rural upbringing and that really, really helped me, set me up having been around campfires, having had a file for what it's like to just sit at the base of a big oak tree and just watch the natural world unfold around you. Hours of sitting silently watching deer, studying the way that they they move and where do they come from and where do they go and watching foxes and all that kind of stuff. You know, sometimes you'd be You'd spend so much. What people now call nature bathing, I was doing, but albeit with an air rifle next to me or or whatever. And you'd have a bird of prey land in the tree above you, and you're eyeballing the bird of prey as it's eyeballing you, trying to work out what you you know. This is whole lovely um, kinship with the land, whether it's horses or cows or. And so I had a file for what felt right. At a time where I felt very very unwell. And so something someone said to me in the recovery center was do more of what works and less of what doesn't. And I think when you get to that point of crisis, you will seek that above, above finance, above monetary gain, above everything goes out the window because you are literally questioning your very, what's the point of me being here today. And so you go and start doing the thing that makes you feel right, which for me was sitting around the campfire, staring into it. And then if things were really heavy emptying a bottle of rum down my neck which wasn't quite so helpful but as time went on as time went on I did away with the booze or started to try to manage the booze and started to focus more on what it is I wanted to do with my life and I actually gave myself permission and that's the key thing you'll see with clients giving yourself permission to do the thing because I could come to you as a coach and say Tom make me this, make me that, get me, get me to the standard I want to be at. And you can write me programs and nutritional stuff and we can talk through stuff and you can, Mm -hmm. you can organize incredible trips for me to go on. But unless I really, really want to be there and I want to show up each day and I want to see that thing through, not going to happen, is it? I was, I was reading, I was reading. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few, I was going to say, I was reading one of your posts and I was, it made me smile because you said about something about, look, we're not going to get on (laughs) or we're going to clash. I thought that's brilliant. You're outlining Mm -hmm. your intent from the off. This is what you expect of me. I'm going to do the very best by me, but you have to be prepared to do the very best by yourself. And if you don't give yourself that permission, Mm -hmm. you're scuppered from the off. And that's the balance point. That's the tipping point to then getting better again and making recovery.
1: It's so interesting you mentioned what mm. feels right, because it is a feeling. And I had a conversation very recently with James Malone, know, who runs James. Palper Films, videographer. Okay, no, great guy. Um, and he used two of the same phrases you did about his challenges with a very similar thing, which is, in a box – like and he physically thought in one moment okay I'm going to put my emotions in this box and that's where they live and then the sensation of feeling as well and he was talking about there's a persona that you create it's like a very Jungian idea to go okay this is a persona this is my outward facing version of me it serves a function it allows me to do a job and it simplifies and reduces the complexity of the world so this is who I am in this environment so that's me but then there's an or um, there's an organic, um, authentic, truer version of you. I feel that's like I'm craving this, and it's that feeling for the outdoors that I think we all have. And you're very lucky to have had that initially in your life as well. And so am I. And there's many people who would never have get that because they are in like e3 where I spent a lot of time in London, and it's like it's you just don't have that opportunity, or they wherever, and they don't get the opportunity to spend that like to know what that craving is all about
0: pocket pocket parks so so Mm, james and i are essentially cut from a similar cloth in that we were both point sprogs so point young marines on that same tour at four or five commando albeit he was either x-ray or zulu and i was whiskey so the culture inside of the marines at the time was uh being a sprog was hard being a sprog was hard you had a you had a sprog routine you had to prove yourself even though you had earned your green beret amongst all the other men and you earned the right to be at the unit you still had to prove yourself and you were still the slight i mean the level of professionalism amongst that body of men was unrelenting he
1: said exactly the same uh, thing
0: like you're sitting there in your accommodation and you want to go and use the toilet the only reading material is a 300 page book that one of the snipes lads has left in there of Different weapons and weapon recognition. That's all you're allowed to read. All you're allowed to see and do is everything to do with pear-shaped turrets, fuel tanks to the rear. I mean, especially if you're in an anti-tanks um, or FSG, as I was. I was put into an FSG troop, a fire support group, with lots of very kind of senior lads, and so even more so did I feel out of place and like I had to prove myself. So, what James is talking about there. You simply had to, because there's no way you could make sense of the level of um, not always that well-controlled violence that goes on on the battlefield, the stuff around the edges that no one told you about the recruitment office, the child abuse, the things you're going to witness, the the, the stuff that the enemy are doing, not necessarily in, in the moment with you, but they're doing off to one side and you're coming across it as you're walking through the landscape. You're seeing some of it's comedy, two blokes fighting a camel and then, 15 minutes later, you see the camel's broken free and it's running across the countryside on its own and the guys are running it. That's funny. Some of it is downright horrific and you're literally having to live alongside it and it questions every element of your own moral compass till the day you die. And I still carry some of this stuff and no matter how much I work on it, I can't go back in time. I don't have a magic wand. I can't change anything other than to say or try and find a level of weirdly empathy for these individuals because when I turn up and do my six-month tour and go home again that's me they are living they are living that version of reality and this is happening in many places around the world at any given time but the fact that it's very 12th century at this point is just my little eyes that have come from HMS Great Britain with the NHS and everything's so wonderful and brilliant as much as I've been conditioned and trained to be this high performance ultra athlete you know 39 beats a minute greyhounds shire horse strength i could do everything at 21 years of age that is still not designed to take in and see and do the things i'm doing and especially with the level of sleep deprivation that went with it did james talk about that the 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 patrol matrix no 18 hour 18 hour patrols no he didn't you get back in you ditch your kit um You'd have like two hours to sort your stuff out. Maybe get your head down for two hours. You'd be on Sanger for two hours, and you back out in another eighteen hours. It's redonkulous uh, with with maybe seven hundred blokes to hold something the size of Yorkshire. Like you, you know, at fifty degree fifty degree heat, carrying one hundred and seventy four pounds of kit when I was all
1: weighed in. It's astonishing. It really is, and the sleep debt is. That's, you that's, don't. I, I f- don't play. Like, I, I feel
0: that's the thing that sows the seeds for the mental health thing. Because you're not getting that REM state. You're not, your prefrontal cortex is not yeah. even having an, an attempt at putting things into wherever it needs to go. And then you couple that with the fact that we have this box mentality bestowed upon us by the generations before. Don't worry about it, lad. Just put it in a box. Never talk about it. Mm. Bosh. Off you go. That's great until yeah. you're at a seven-year-old's birthday party and a kid bursts a balloon run next to your head and suddenly you're stood up wanting to take the head off something, absolutely full of adrenaline. It's go time. Like Pavlov's dogs, you've become preconditioned. When Pavlov blew the whistle, the dog would salivate in the same way that as soon as you feel air displacement, things get loud or noisy and start happening around you. It's go time. It's your life or someone else's. Mm. Awful. It's so interesting Awful. how it's
1: such a visceral, physical thing and that yeah. speaks to the fact that it's not a conscious process it's something that's built into your physiology that response that sympathetic state is is there yeah
0: and so it's learning to manage that control it and uh, as i often say i'm in control of it it's not in control of me anymore so as long as i continue to live my life the way i live myself uh, and then i continue to be authentic and and in my truest sense free free of skeletons uh, every day is a blessing then because I'm living a version of myself where I'm able to say no, I'm able to say yes. I'm able to tell those who are behaving in a certain way that is completely, you know, unsatisfactory, I I have a choice not to even entertain that. I also have a choice to allow myself to be free of that whole being put in a box I think I really, I really have got a bit of a humbrance with this recently, where it's like, oh yeah, he does, he's a bushcrafter, or he's a YouTuber, or he's a public speaker, he's an author, he's a, I am whatever I feel like being on any given day, uh, and I'll, I'll decide that, you know, not not uh, not not everybody else. It, it does make me giggle, so it's mm-hmm. there's still there's still an anti-authoritarian vibe in there somewhere, um, but I think it needs to be. It needs to be, and it
1: is tempered and managed, but it it needs to be in order for me to be me at my best. Yeah. And maybe that's a very healthy part of you. The part that says, actually, no, I'm not going to trust authority just because it's there. Um, And maybe that's a a certain amount of well, a sensible approach to living your life and seeking some individuality and authenticity.
0: It, It certainly is. Don't get me wrong. I have my own bias and we all have judgmental bias, but I, I kind of, I feel like I'm at a stage where I can understand when I'm applying that when I'm not Mm -hmm. and understand when I'm emotionally making decisions or emotionally speaking, or when I'm intellectually, when I'm able to, to do that or the other equally though, so much of my work involves having to apply EQ over IQ or maybe a combination of the both that in order to really help people, I would say 90% of the stuff that I'm doing is through a set of eyes. In person across a campfire nice. it's not necessarily what I'm saying it's the way that I'm posturing it's the way that I my might... if you wanted to use the science uh, and I'm going to Nick this from a, a brilliant negotiator chat mr. Chris Voss mm-hmm. um, it's it's the isopraximal neuroresonance so it's the mirroring behavior it's the sit stand speak don't speak idiosyncrasies reading what they're not saying. Listening to the real message, two of these, one of these for a reason, and picking up on the sort of higher consciousness vibes, and then introducing stimulus into the conversation at a point which will either be about telling a story that's nothing to do with them, because storytelling lights up the brain in a different way, and or giving them facts and data based on the recent science around whatever it is, so that because they might be more data-driven, so that they go, well, can I read that study? Yeah, you can, there it is whatever it is, for them to be able to just make that change, make that turnaround, draw that metaphorical line in the wood chip and change the way they feel about something. If you can go back and have the minerals to approach a scary thing and change the meaning you made around it back then with your tired brain, you stand a very good chance to then feel different about it and therefore behave completely differently around that thing.
1: Yeah. You mentioned a few transformative moments you had in a very kind talk-based clinical way of of approaching mm. this. Did you have any similar occasions in nature doing things outdoors that you can kind of re-pull really and go like, that was that moment of transformation?
0: Oh, I've had so many. Um, so many. You learn things about yourselves. So you learn things in the moment that only, only something that's really testing you. So, so for instance, uh, a big, big question I had over myself is: um, so now that I'm out of the military, now that I'm away from that stuff, what if something goes down and I'm just out and about? Am I still going to be the person that runs towards the problem and is a solution? Am I someone who's going to stay with the casualty, understand that a doctor is on scene? I'm no help here, but I could coordinate an ambulance, or am I still someone who's forward thinking who wants to? fix in the moment and help be evade or protect or defend or whatever it is. am i still that person and so there's a very big question mark over yourself because you understand you've gone through some transformative stuff leaving service are you still that person and of course the outdoors time and again has given me um has given me given my chimp the banana that it needs the uncertainty the certainty all the different bits that we we require as humans I'm trying to pull out some examples now. I mean, I nearly got crushed by a tree a couple of winters ago. Uh, total accident. I f- fell in my escape lane as it was coming down. And luckily it went down exactly as I planned it to. But if it hadn't, I was within the radius. And it's a big old limb. You don't get second chances. And um, and so there was a clip of that video somewhere and I'm, ex- I'm exhilarated. I'm buzzing. I'm on a high. I'm on that adrenal spike. And then obviously I have to, now with the knowledge, I knew that I had to go slow the next day to manage the come down, to manage mm. the after effect of adrenaline because adrenaline is no longer my friend at all, at all. So you won't find me doing things like white water rafting, driving a, uh, a race car, around a racetrack at 10,000 miles an hour on like a race day because I know I'm going to suffer the other side of that because I've had all the adrenaline. My body's going to take everything from jumping out of planes to to you know up close and personal pointy stuff to dealing with someone literally dying as you're holding on to an artery for dear life while the ambulance arrives or whatever it is so there's all this kind of stuff um in the repertoire so it's understanding yourself i would say the outdoors gives me i mean everything i do has an element of risk and i need to be risk aware not risk adverse so i can't shy away from it it holds me to account in that respect the accountability side of it is a massive thing Um, what do you mean by that so in order to continue to be your sort of truest authentic self just follow me on the analogy here if i went kayaking or you went kayaking and you fill out the kayak your survivability rate starts to come down as you start to lose heat what 25 30 times faster once you're immersed in water Mm -hmm. you need to get back in that kayak there is a call to action charged with the motion and it has to be done in a timely fashion otherwise you are your your life, your 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 percentage chance of you surviving that is going down. The, the, the less we interact with the outdoors, the more we hide away, the more we use demonizing language, the more we go, oh, bad weather today, I'm not going out there today, I'm not walking the dog today, whatever it is, the less resilient, capable, and accountable we become. And where it starts to creep into your everyday life, and I've said this on another podcast about treading in dog poo, is one of the most in the moment, accountable creating things you've ever seen in a immediate call to action is oh god get it off you will move like grease weasel poo across the uh, path to start wiping your foot off on the long grass you may even call it a day you'll stop at every puddle to wash that thing off and then when you get back to the house you'll then diligently scrub your entire boot uh, ready for a limestone style inspection when you get back Nobody just leaves boots caked in dog muck and then just goes indoors. So there was an instant creation. You know, accountability was created, action was called upon, and it had to be done soonish. When you get into the world of the office and you start getting all the emails coming in, we all live in a world now where it's very easy to just go, Mark unread. Oh, that's not my problem. This piece of post didn't arrive at this house, etc. cetera. Well, what, what starts to happen is the more time you spend outdoors having to become accountable for wind rain yourself other people the dog whatever it is day on the beach think about the amount of admin that goes in on a day out to the beach with the family it's ridiculous mm-hmm. when you get back to that place of work your demeanor your behavior the way you start to because you get this long term gratification feeling for spending time in the outdoors starts to just creep into everything else you do and you become a can do person who says right in the zoom meeting let's talk offline Let's sort this. Let's make this happen. Let's deal with this right now. Who do we need to speak to? Oh, well, it's their engineers. Call the engineers. Let's front this up. Let's get some answers. Let's find out where we need to fix this thing. And you become a very can-do team player, someone you want to be around. And I think that there is that correlation between what the outdoors has taught me and what I take away from spending time in the outdoors and what that means to me when I'm talking to people high performance teams, leadership, whatever, government organisations recently, wherever I'm going and whoever I'm talking to, I'm able to grasp quickly what they're about, even though it's not my world, and see what's going on, and then advise where
1: possible, um, best course of action. Very left field question, something that comes into the world of PTSD and veterans and something that also comes into the world of nature and being outdoors is psychedelics and therapy. Has that ever been something you're curious about?
0: Big subject. So right now there is a study being done on a group of veterans here in the UK and that is using, uh, is it psychotropic? I'm just trying to think it's using mushrooms Psilocybin so, mushrooms, I should imagine. So yeah, psilocybin is being tested right now on a small. Group. I know one person who's on that, that study, and I, we check in with each other. Um, me being kind of down the route of ethnobotany and ethnobotanist. Yeah, that's what um, made me think of it. Whilst I'm whilst I am interested in in the world of fungus. I also think that we don't understand the long-term effects. Hence, we're doing the studies, right? So these people have probably had to sign a piece of paper somewhere understanding that if you start losing your marbles 20 years from now completely as a result of this study, you know, we needed to know somewhere. But equally, they're keen to look for an answer. And why would you not look to nature for a nature-based solution? Because if you read books on wild health by Cindy Engel. Um, it is about zoo pharmacognosy, the study of the animal kingdom and what that's taught us. So, monkeys tripping out on psychedelics in the in the um, in the uh, in the outdoors, or insects using certain compounds from another animal to help hide them or dis- 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 yeah, disguise their guys or whatever it is. There's so many different things inside that kind of flora and fauna natural kingdom that, that contain very real chemical compounds and constituents that have effects, various effects on us. Uh, it, it is it is always a viable solution. I'm saying it's always a viable solution. I'm not saying it is the solution. Then we've got things that uh, don't grow here or we can't get hold of, which we have to go to South America for, for this ayahuasca treatment, etc. cetera. Uh, and again, we, we were talking about sort of hallucinogenic effects and um, so say speaking to our higher selves and opening up third eyes there's a whole heap of stuff there um what i tend to deal with personally speaking is the stuff that is uh not saying it's not real but very real um i would tend to be much more further down that scale of risk in terms of working with my clients um mm-hmm. so i will be showing them how to sustainably harvest and use things that they can find here in their immediate surroundings which will reduce inflammation pain mild anesthetics things like that um so just to just to reel off a few uh, herb bennett G. M. barnum is a small plant uh, grows in many woodlands small yellow flowering spike and a trifoliate leaf in three bits that's a mild anesthetic the root base is is basically oil of cloves you've got a bad tooth it's a goer, and it'll if you ate the entire root base itself and chewed it all up you probably get a bit of a a ditzy end of your tongue you might bite the end of your tongue but it's not any more than that mm-hmm. things like meadow sweet filipendula ulmaria, is where um much like the willow family salix you're talking about compounds that we use to create aspirin so salix um salicin salicylic acid so that is something that's going to be very calming on the stomach the stomach lining etc going to reduce inflammation going to help with pain unlike its chemically synthetically reproduced uh brother which is what we find on the shelf which can live there for 30 years because it's full of chalk and silicon and everything else you cannot in fact overdose on this to my knowledge and you can have it on an empty stomach and it works with your body not against your body so there's a lot of stuff that, that that's very pro for using plants mushrooms etc however it's all about quantifiable amounts mm-hmm. so just because an old plant or a young plant grew in a certain part of the woodland and you're a big person a small person a fat person a short person like whatever how do you know how to administer how much of that and it, and what form does it come? And so then you into the realms of ointments, tinctures, macerations, decoctions. It's a whole world in itself, right? Yeah. So taking pipettes of twenty mils of something um, in an alcohol solution, twenty five percent or more alcohol, is how medicine used to be. Now. I can pick up a packet off the shelf and know that it's 350 grams of quantifiably measured out. And I know what that's what it's going to be. And I can read the back of the packet and it will say how many times per day based on how old I am, shape, size, et cetera. So, and the and the ultimate difference between these two are in herbalism, we're aiming to go down the route of fixing the problem. Uh, whereas in modern medicine, we're looking to alleviate the symptom. Mm. That's two different approaches as well. So there's there's a lot to unpack there. But in a nutshell, uh, I've not tried the mushrooms. I've not gone down the route of psychedelics. Neither am I currently using anything ending in ean or am. So mm-hmm. a lot of the drugs you find on today's list that get dished out like sweeties are ending in ean or am. And I'm not knocking that because there are people on this planet that would not be here if they weren't taking those. But equally, there is a high addiction rate, high addiction rate. And, and an awful lot of people get to a quarter dose, have a wobble, go back up, can't seem to ever rid themselves. So it's tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. I, yeah. I work I work very much more on a, an empowering people to change their environment, to do half the battle for them. And then you take the poorly fish, you put it in the clean water, you don't put poorly fish in dirty water, that's half the battle. And then that fish has a chance of doing the yards on itself. And or with alongside talking therapies
1: and other conventional uh, yeah. therapies. What kind of services do you offer at Hidden Valley Bushcraft?
0: We uh, over the years. I mean, funny you said said about lots of products because at one point we offered thirteen products when I was first <sighs> starting out. I was perfect. doing everything. I was doing everything from deer butchery all the way through to uh, food, fire, shelter, water, navigation, um, fur, feather, fin. Days where you would literally you'd have something either like a rabbit or if you're a larger group of deer, mm-hmm. uh you'd have fish, you'd have uh partridges, you'd have pheasants, you'd have pigeons, you'd deconstruct everything in the entire day, and I would teach you how to do all of them three ways: smoking, preserving, underground, hungry pit. I'd have three different campfires on the go, and I was running around like a blue ass fly, completely flat out, exhausted at the end of it, and not charging anywhere near what I probably should have. That's to
1: give you an idea, right? The classic beginner business person.
0: Oh, God. I was running around, driving my Land Rover all over the county, delivering stuff at schools, doing all of the kind of like um, prehistoric caveman days, delivering forest school. We've done a lot of stuff when we first started out. When I say now, everything's centered around bushcraft and the natural world and is very much pivoted around educational, recreational experiences It kind of sounds really washy, wishy-washy because it's basically the same product again and again. Mm -hmm. It's me or someone like me delivering a day where you're learning about why the landscape looks the way it does, why we do what we do as humans, how we tick, uh, your learner skill. So whether it's making a spoon or feather sticks or tent pegs or take you on an overnight experience or you know something like that but when i think back i mean it was everything from stag do's it was everything at the time uh so hidden valley bushcraft i do a lot of custom stuff now so i'll have um individual individuals or organizations approach me to put on a day and we'll build the package for them or with them so whether that looks like a split day where they do a bit of this in the afternoon they do a bit of that archery whatever else Mm -hmm. um that's generally the way it goes now but to start with i was working very hard running around um, exacting standard had to be there all the time and i couldn't let anybody else take on any of my work because only i could deliver it does sound familiar Mm -hmm. (laughs) may have have experienced a couple of times (laughs) and um and it's 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 really really it is really hard to survive after your first five years of business is is amazing we're going into year eight now and we've run essentially two products so we've had a limited hidden valley bushcraft Mm -hmm. and we've also had this thing called the woodland warrior program which is a cic community interest company so it acts like double hats a bit like a limited company but it's our charitable model so it's not for profit and that that inside of that is where we have found this, this incredible sort of circular thinking model, which we've created for ourselves. Um, and that has seen us through COVID. It's seen us through hard times. We've had to make big business decisions like mothballing the kindergarten. At one point, we had a kindergarten for five years, a woodland kindergarten, as if we weren't busy enough. We had an outstanding woodland kindergarten. Oh, which was it was amazing it was amazing as a standalone product we weren't part of a big chain i won't name any of the chains in that world but and we didn't just do the thing where we palmed the kids off to be taught by week one day one uh, child studies students who technically then count on the teacher ratios mm-hmm. but don't essentially know much mm-hmm. we had two very qualified teachers two girls were incredible and i'd be on site more as the sort of janitor the sort of do all the stuff behind the scenes to make the day run um and uh and they were totally in the woods with the kids every single day and it was incredible and the legacy from that actually there is a uh, horse chestnut tree growing in the wood that i found two years ago and it must have been planted there's no other way a conquer would have found its way that far into that particular patch of woodland because there aren't no other trees of that type it's one of the children has pushed it into the bank because we used to use them for counting for the arithmetic for the um math side of things so uh it's just a really nice little bit of legacy and i i've hopefully if we continue to protect that tree it's going to go on to have its own space in that canopy and that will forever be the the kindergarten um the result of the kindergarten that we had there and it's okay to let go of a product um i don't know what you're offering now exactly There'll be something that you're offering now that's like kind of working for you, but it's kind of not working for you. Or Actually, it's 70% of your office hours and it just about wipes its bum every month in terms of the loop. And you're putting a lot of time and effort into it. But equally, part of you is like it's failure to let go of it. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's good business sense. And it's going to feel like failure for a couple of weeks until you start to see the results uh, right themselves. And you go, that was the right thing to do.
1: Mm You Naval know, exactly. Ravikant always talks about the quick you iterate, the quick you win. and it's, But you have to have that humility to let go of. Because yeah. it provides so much stability. It's almost like when we're talking about the persona that you create to fulfill a need. It's like, well, this, this is the known. This is predictable. These are the yep. inputs and outputs. and Safety. Maybe it, yeah, it's safety. It's structure. It's, it's um, predictability. But then to drop that and then to go into the new version is scary. And it's funny you say that. I'm exactly at that point where I'm working a lot one-to-one with people. And yep, I'm looking yep. at creating a, a group of um, essentially adventurepreneurs. Uh, that's my new favorite phrase. Um, so people yep. go out and it's the adventurepreneur collective, get a bunch of people together and support them through the mental performance growth of, of that and allow them to all collaborate on it,
0: um, which I'm more,
1: like, very excited about. But it's, um, it's dropping, the, dropping the old thing, making the new thing. It's going to be better. Yeah. So the individual I was talking to
0: yesterday on the treadmill does exactly that. I might put you ah, in touch cool. offline when we're ah, when we're done here. Yeah, perfect. Uh, that's exactly perfect. what he does. If you were to nice. try and describe what he does, that's what he now does. Yeah. that sounds awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd love we, we're never we're never essentially the finished product. We're never the thing that we set out to be, because we're constantly evolving. We're constantly learning, and we're all on that journey. So as long as you can buy into that and and not get caught up, um, because you know, with that level of passion, time and effort. Uh, So effort over time driven by passion equals results. Mm -hmm. But what it can also build um, quite quickly with success if you're not careful is the ego, the ego of the high performance individual, Mm -hmm. which we once had, which we once needed to know that when the ramp went down, you go off into the dark, you are the best thing since sliced bread. Because if you don't have that unwavering sense of confidence in your ability to perform, uh, you won't perform at the right level that can then become a hindrance when that file for ego kicks back in. Once you start to see accolades in the world that you're in now. Uh, and then before you know it, you're back on a, on a negative loop, which, which can be, you've gone into a meeting, you've gone into whatever, and people are like, he's pretty sure of himself, a bit cocky actually. And then it's almost, mm-hmm. I'm not sure he's all that, but you at that point believe that you are the best thing since sliced bread in your own bath, water and bed space. Um, and can't see, you're missing those auto cues. Yeah. Happens. It happens. It's another thing to temper. It's just as you think Mm -hmm. you're getting somewhere. There's a, there's a, there's a a yin and a yang to everything. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And it's just just, a perfect place to, to wrap up. Where can people follow you, follow your work, find out more about you?
0: Uh, Right. Well, um, I wrote a book. Uh, It's called rewild your mind and you can find that on Amazon and it's being stocked in, bookshops from America to Dubai to Australia it's everywhere now so that's really good so it's rewild your mind you can find that book that in essence has a lot of my story in the first 13 pages and then everything thereafter is a self-help guide to using nature for a healthier and happier lifestyle Uh, I have a little YouTube channel which has about 8,000 subscribers which I've just kind of started it's building again Uh, and that is Nick Goldsmith that's just under my name you can find that uh, there's some exciting stuff coming up there actually and some collabs with some much, much bigger bigger fish in that YouTube world and they'll be coming very soon. Um, you can find me at uh, the Nick Goldsmith website. So just type in Nick Goldsmith and in Google it should come up with the, with the website there. Uh, so you could book me as a speaker or, or we can do some work together or whatever it is. Most of the um, social media platforms will be out there either and or as hidden valley bushcraft or nick goldsmith official mm-hmm. or something like that so twitter instagram facebook etc mm-hmm. uh yeah i think i think that's kind of it i think that's kind of it Perfect. um i'd like to say a massive thank you to you for having me on um because i think it's it's brilliant uh just from this conversation i'm gleaning out more of what you're about i mean obviously i had a quick look yeah being that you're moving in those those kind of the circles and that that law of conformity is so important um you're you're in a fantastic peer group you know you've mentioned jeffers you've mentioned ed norman you've mentioned people like that so this is this is really exciting stuff so i look forward to, to watching your
1: journey as well thanks nick really appreciate that really do appreciate it and it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you um i've learned a ton and i'm excited to continue watching your journey and see where you go and yeah learn cool. from you. thank you very That's much fine.